Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 117. All I want for Christmas is a book contract, an interview with Elise Murray, coming to you on Thursday, December 20th, 2018. Guess what? Today is the Right Now Workshop Podcast birthday. Woohoo! Can you believe that we've been doing this together for a year? It seems like a year. You know how sometimes it seems like more and sometimes things just seem like it's taken way less time? This actually feels like a year. <laughs> Maybe because it's Christmas time and it's sort of tied inside my brain to Christmas, but I'm super excited. It's been an amazing year. I don't know if you've been able to listen to all the episodes, but we have had some really cool authors coming on and talking to us about their experiences, giving us some tips and advice that might help us so that we have hopefully uh, a smoother writing and editing journey. We've had people talking to us about writing, editing, business, health. So I think it's been helping all of us to have a more productive, um, calmer kind of year. I hope that it's been helpful to you. I've really enjoyed it and I promised you a couple of weeks ago that I've been thinking about it and we're definitely going to do this for at least one more year. Now, there will come a point in the very near future in 2019, I'm going to start talking to you about a way that you can help to um, help with the costs of the podcast. It costs me a couple hundred dollars a month to, to run all the episodes, have them hosted and blah, 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 a whole bunch of stuff. I'll talk to you more about it later, but um, I'll have to find a way to start paying for that uh, over the next year. Otherwise, you know, we may have to stop. We'll see, but I promise you we're going to do this until next Christmas for sure. So Thank you very much for being a part of my little family. Not only am I very grateful to all of my guests, thank you again for being on the show, but I'm super grateful to you, my quietly listening friend. <laughs> and in the interest of being a friend, there is something I wanted to mention real quick today. Um, I really, really, really want you to think of me as someone that you can trust who tells you the truth and doesn't um, sugarcoat things or make it sound like, oh, this is so great and it's not really great. So remember last week I gave you a little bit of an update on the burnout situation and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like practically 100% my old self. The next day, I don't know what happened exactly, but I just fell into a pit. Like I just fell right back into it very suddenly. And it was distressing. It was distressing because I had been feeling so good the day before. Um, I think it's a combination of a whole lot of things. Holiday stress, moving stress. Um, there's a whole bunch of other things. Uh, it doesn't really matter what it is. The point is, is that um, for me and for you, if this is something that you've been trying to deal with and that you're struggling with, is that we're just going to have to keep a closer eye on how many different kinds of stresses are in our lives, even if they're good things. Like Christmas stress, okay, when I was having my good day and telling you, oh, it's just so great, I feel wonderful. I was super excited about all the friends I was going to see at Christmas, people who were going to come over here, going to other people's houses, having lunch with people, going out, just all these things that were planning, that I was planning on doing. And then within about 48 hours, all I could think of was how horrible it was going to be to have people over and to go over to people's house and to try to be in a good mood. And so I know that some of you know what I mean, and it may not be burnout for you. It may be something else about this time of year that makes it a difficult time. But this is what I absolutely do believe is that 
we have the ability to take at least some control of what's going on in our minds and in our hearts. Even if there is a physical reason why um, you're not feeling 100% right now, there is still things that we can do. And this is why I'm sharing it with you because yes, I was feeling great. Yes, then I fell into a pit and it was horrible and I was just crying and I didn't really exactly know why I was crying. I just was feeling like I had been feeling months ago and it lasted for a few days and the the very fact that it was happening was distressing to me the fact that it was happening at Christmas like I was just upset about a whole bunch of things about it that I couldn't control and it was probably brought about by other things that I couldn't control so I just wanted to remind you we need to pay attention to the amount of stress that we have in our lives, even if it's good stress, even if it's like getting married to stress, which I think is like maybe some of the best stress, maybe getting married and having a baby would be the really, really good kinds of stress. But if we can try to balance it and keep an eye on how we feel and help our minds to be thinking um, calming thoughts and um, be aware of whether or not things are stretching on the inside to a point where it feels like it's going to burst and start trying to take control of that before it bursts, I think it will be a very healthy exercise for all of us. It's something that I thought that maybe I didn't need to do that much of anymore because I was feeling so great. But then, yeah, the the, the, the thing inside popped, I guess, and I fell. So, just sharing from somebody who is going through it to you in case you're going through it. I know that's just weird to me how many people I know who are going through burnout. Though, you know, you talk about something and then you find out that, you know, it's everywhere and you never noticed it before. So there's that. But also, if you have any friends who maybe are having a hard time either with burnout or with something else during the holiday season, um, yeah, just think if you can help them to create a better you know, I, I love brain science, some better, healthier neural pathways where they're thinking about more positive things, not necessarily trying to look at things that they're unhappy with in a positive light, maybe focusing on things that they genuinely are happy with. That's what I'm trying to do. And I think that it does a lot of good. I think that um, you don't have to try to look at your bad situation and think that somehow there's something good about it, that there is value in that, in looking for the good things that will come out of a hard situation. But um, at the very least, when you're feeling the worst, I know for me, just thinking of just to find something that I'm genuinely happy about and that I, I'm not trying to trick my mind into thinking something that I'm not thinking or feeling at the moment, it really helped. Um, sometimes just finding like, what, what do I think is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen and putting that on and maybe I won't really be laughing much, but you know, it, uh, it turns the corner inside my brain and I hope it'll do the same thing for you as well. Also just talking to people who make you happy, who make you laugh. Um, sometimes it's somebody you've never met before. When I was talking to Alice, uh, Elise, sorry getting her name wrong. When I was talking to Elise Murray today's guest, I was like, she's so cool and she just makes me happy and in a good mood. So you never know, but look for whatever it is is going to help you to be in a good mood and uh, to decrease your stress level. And if you have to, you know, I mean, I did cancel. Well, I rescheduled. <laughs> I canceled some lunches and then I rescheduled them. Um, 
uh, some s- social scientists say that that is actually not what you should do. You should be out with people. But sometimes I do feel like what I need first is just to sit down and be quiet and take care of me because maybe part of my stress was I was going out doing too many things with too many people. So all of these things are possibilities for you this holiday, and I just wanted to bring it up and in a way that you know that I'm not going to be a person who's going to tell you, yeah, it's all good. I don't know why you don't feel good anymore because I feel great. And honestly, uh, yeah, honestly, I just want to be honest and help you to find ways to. I don't want you to be surprised at anything that might be happening inside your head with stress. Not if I can help you to figure it out first and maybe even avoid some of it. So that's that's me um, hoping to be helpful and always slightly worried that I'm just boring the heck out of you. So let's go back to... <laughs> I hope that you have a very happy Christmas, a very happy whatever holiday you're celebrating right now. If you are in summer weather somewhere, uh, somewhere in the Southern Hemisphere, I hope that you are having a great uh, outdoor weather kind of stuff going on where you can surf or go to the beach or have a barbecue or have your your Christmas feast outdoors. I hope if it's wintertime, Maybe you get a little bit of Christmas magic and snow or something like that. That's what I was hoping for. And I do apologize to the Swedes that I seriously startled a couple of nights ago when I was out with some girlfriends and all of a sudden it started snowing. I mean, all of a sudden, like over the course of two or three minutes. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's snowing. (laughs) And I saw people jump in my peripheral vision. So sorry. Uh, sometimes I can't keep the American in me on the inside, (laughs) but at least I didn't embarrass my friends. So that's something. Anyway, wherever you are, I'm praying for you. I really am. And wishing you a very happy, peaceful, joyful season of the year. It's going to be a new year, a new day, new plans soon. And we'll talk about that. But in the meantime, let's talk about our new guest. Elise Murray is a first-time author with Hallmark Publishing. She has a new book out called The Christmas Company. And I'm just saying that since this episode is coming out before Christmas, it is a possibility as a last-minute Christmas gift if you need one. (laughs) Here is Elise. I hope that you love the interview as much as I loved doing it. And have a lovely, lovely week. We'll talk to you later. Today's guest is Elise Murray. Elise writes novels for the romantic and all of us. Born and raised in New Orleans, she received her BFA, majoring in theater and minoring in political science, from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, and her master's in film studies from King's College London. Though she's moved away from home, she'll always be a Southern girl at heart. Welcome, Elise. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here. Yay! I was so excited to like ask you on Twitter if you were interested and then like two minutes later there you were responding and yay! <laughs> yes, I'm very active on the Twitter. It's 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 kind of a problem, but I do really like it. It's great for engagement. It was so glad I was so glad to see you and connect with you. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been um interviewing uh the Hallmark Publishing 
editor slash director, uh, Stacey Donovan. She was on twice. And then I'm getting a couple of the Hallmark authors on because in the Hallmark 400 Days of Christmas <laughs> that they seem to have, there's so much Christmas stories going on. And I thought, what a fun way to end the year with a couple more Christmas books. So you have a new book out called, well, it's newish. I mean, it's new this year, but it came out in October for everybody who likes to start their Christmas reading early called The Christmas Company. And it came out with uh, Hallmark Publishing. Now, is this your first book? Yes, it is. It's my debut novel. Um, I, it wasn't the first book I ever wrote, but it was the first book that I sort of seriously pursued publishing for. And I could not be happier with, you know, the way it worked out with Hallmark and I actually happened to be writing it and one day I was on like one of my 18 million Twitter breaks while I was writing <laughs> and it just popped up on my Twitter that Hallmark Publishing was like actively seeking, you know, um, manuscripts without agents. And I didn't have an agent at the time. So I was like, okay, well, when I finish this, I guess that's where I'll send it. <laughs> and um, sure enough, a few months later, they, I got an agent by that point, but they told my agent that they were really interested in it and they wanted to buy it. And I was just over the moon. Like it just kind of everything sort of fell into place. So uh, yeah, I was really, really thrilled that my first kind of publishing home was with Hallmark. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. I imagine, you're still, yeah, I imagine you're still on the honeymoon stage of, I finally have a book out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I think it's, it's very surreal, you know, like to walk into a store and see your book on a shelf or, you know, I, I haven't been back home. I live in London, so I haven't been back home for a couple of weeks, but everyone will send me every time they're in a target, they'll take a picture of themselves with the book. So that's always, it's still, it hasn't gotten old yet. So hopefully it never will, but at least for the moment, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty exciting. Oh yeah. I'm pretty sure it's not going to get old. My friend Lorraine Snelling has um, something like 70 books out and she still oh, gets wow. just tickled when somebody sends her a picture of themselves holding her book in, in a bookstore in America or someplace else. Exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. Okay, well, I absolutely love, first of all, you have, you have two things going on in your life right now that I love talking about. So first is first book. So I want to hear everything. People love to hear the first book stories. So please tell us. Also, as an aside, feel free to mention you're engaged. That's so sweet. <laughs> yes, yes. I, just, I got engaged in March. Um, it was really, really wonderful. Uh, he, it, it was, it's kind of a funny story. So I moved to, um, I did my first two years of my undergrad at New York University in the New York campus. And then I came to London to do a playwriting program with the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts and the Writers Guild of Great Britain. And I was only supposed to be here for three months and just for the length of the program. And the second week I was in London, I met Adam and I was just totally head over heels for him. Like I just, he swept me off my feet and Three years later, I'm still here. <laughs> um, oh. NYU has a campus in London, so I finished my degree here and then um, went to get my master's. And so in March, she proposed and I said yes. And so um, I'm very excited. We're getting married in New Orleans next year and then we're going to go travel the world together. Um, he works in software development and I write, so we can kind of write from anywhere. So I'm going to oh. go travel Europe and Australia and New Zealand and then eventually find somewhere to permanently live. But for now, do some traveling and just see the world with my best friend. So I am very, very excited about that. I feel oh. very lucky. 
Right. Yes. And I have to say that offline, you and I should share some travel tips because you've lived in London and I've only just moved to Sweden a few months ago, but I lived in Australia and New Zealand and you want to go there. Yes. Got to get your tips. Got to get your tips. That's right. Especially if you like Lord of the Rings stuff, I can tell you all sorts of fun stuff in New, in, uh, New Zealand. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, he was okay. the one who encouraged me to write. I mean, Aww. He knew that I liked to write, and um, I was a playwright, of course, but he, he kind of started to make fun of me. We were, I guess we'd been dating about a year and a half, and I, I loved romance novels. I, um, the first year I was in London, I was in a playwriting class, and one of the students said, you know, well, you know, people don't really buy books by women, so that's why you don't really see as many on the shelf. And I was just affronted. I was so angry. Yeah. And so, like, I left class that day, and I was just, like, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was on the tube. I was on the bus. Like, everywhere I went, I feel like I was just, like, pig pen. Like, I had a big cloud of, like, anger <laughs> around me. Yeah. And so I made a vow that day. I was like, okay, for the next year, for the next 365 days, I'm not going to read a single book by a man. And so for the whole year, I only read books by women and by like female identifying authors. And so in that, one of the most reliable sections in the bookstore that I could go to to find books by women, like any book I would pull off the shelf would be by a woman, was the romance section. And I had always really liked romance, but it wasn't until that year that it kind of became my like big love and my passion. And because I had been reading so many of them and because I just was devouring them like, you know, four or five a week, um, my fiance was like, you know, he was my boyfriend at the time, said, you, you really should write one. Like, you have a really strong voice. You, you love these stories. You should just try it. And so I wrote one and it was not good. Yes. And I, I still love it. Like I have such a soft space in my heart for like the story about an American and a British prince, which is like, of course I was going to be my first. Book. Of course. And, um, <laughs> and so uh, I still look back on it very fondly, but it was not very good, but it did teach me so many lessons and it got me connected with so many people online and in writers groups and you know to kind of learn more about the craft and about the business and then a year later by the time I a year after I finished that first book I got my first publishing contract with Hallmark so you know really oh. kind of put my nose to the grindstone and decided that you know I really did want to write some romance novels and and here we are oh wow that's a great story I love it <laughs> now so you have um you have a diverse background. I was very interested. I'm like, wow, major in theater, minor in political science. How does one decide to do that? But on the other hand, you also have been quite focused in your studies on creative works, uh, different kinds of things, not novel writing. When I went to grad school, I was writing romance and superhero superhero urban fantasy, but I call it superhero books for, for women because oh, I love it. You know, there's a really strong romantic element as well, but it also has a lot of action and some you know fight scenes and um, well, yeah, some death. <laughs> so you can't really necessarily call it romance, but, uh, so I also had these weird arguments with people in grad school about, um, excuse me, but your super cool, awesome book is probably going to sell like not that much romance novelists. I'm not saying me, but I'm just saying there are people out there that they are making 
buku bucks. So I really think that we should stop, you know, um, denigrating people that we don't really know that much about. <laughs> Absolutely. And for me, it was a big thing, especially when I went to grad school, because when I entered grad school for film studies, what I really wanted to study was kind of pop film. So like I wrote my entrance essay on the Michael Jordan uh, Bugs Bunny movie Space Jam. Awesome. And and when I wrote it, I was like, I'm so proud of this piece of work, but there's no way anyone's going to let me into grad school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they, but they did, thankfully. And um, for me, it was about like, how, what do we learn about ourselves and about our culture and about who we are if we take these kind of like junk films as seriously as if we were reading like a Truffaut film? Yeah. And so for me, the argument was always like, you are abandoning a huge part of our culture if you say that this doesn't have any value. And for me, so many women, you know, it's obviously a huge industry, tons of people read them. So it has to be important in some way. And so when I read and talk about romance, I always love to pull out those kind of, um, what kind of cultural importance does it have and what can we learn from them? And I, I think they're terribly important. And um, so I just, I love writing them. And I think that you know, I've learned so much about who I am as a person and as a woman and like relationship dynamics and kind of um, cultural things. I just feel like there's so much to pull out of romance novels that right. people just kind of are like, oh, it's bodice rippers. It's, you know, trash for women. And I think that they're just missing out. And I kind of, I don't really, I get mad at them, but I also feel kind of sorry for them <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, there's stuff that was written before yours and my generation was, was reading romance novels that I have, um, you know, I like, I read a chapter, a few chapters of like a Harlequin romance novel from the seventies. And I was like, because <laughs> it wasn't written for me. It wasn't written for my generation and, and it didn't have anything to do with the way that I saw the world. But the interesting thing is, is that as every generation comes into its own and starts writing about the things that it sees, like, I don't really think so much of myself as a romance writer, so much as I'm writing about um, people who the primary character happens to always be a woman in my books. I've never written about a, a male main character, you know, outside of there being, you know, a hero who's the other main character, but really it's about the woman. But it's always about a woman who finds out that she has more power than she realizes. Because that's the thing that I felt that I was learning in life as I was traveling from my 20s through my 30s and keep on going. I still feel like that's what I'm learning. Every time I think that I'm too scared or too weak or too um, anything, then I start finding this place where I'm like, okay, no, I, I can do this. It may be difficult. It may be horrendously hard. It may be easier than I think, but I can do it. And I think, yeah, that's what I'm trying to write, regardless of the fact that it happens to be in the context of a romantic relationship. But then, you know, you kind of want to say, what's wrong with a romantic relationship? I've been married for almost 30 years. I don't really think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> And you're about ready to school get married. Doing the snaps for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. I love the way that um, we can look at, because the other thing is, is that I'm almost positive it was your book that there was some people going off on Twitter, um, like maybe, I kind of want to say it was Rhonda Merworth. Is that how you say her last name? Um, I think it might have been her talking about your book. I could be wrong. Saying, oh my gosh, I love this book. It like made me you know, laugh and cry and feel. And, and I was like, holy cow, that's exactly the kind of writing you know, and the kind of books that we want to read. So I think it's just so interesting that regardless of what, and you know what, I can feel myself being like, wow, I'm on my soapbox right now. <laughs> 
But regardless of whether or not you're writing romance or mystery or I suppose you could do it with true crime too. It's like what is really happening within the human condition right now in the world that we are experiencing in this moment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love it. Now, but you also had a bunch of other kinds of writing besides novel writing. So how did you go in the one direction and then turn a little bit in this direction? And are you still writing all different kinds of things? Yes, absolutely. So um, it's going to sound silly. So of course, when I was a little girl, like, you know, I, I was a voracious reader. So tons of my, you know, very, very little girl years were just like scribbling in notebooks. I think my mom's like the majority of her life's net worth was spent buying me notebooks. Um, so like those were all, you know, just little stories. And then when I kind of became like a angsty teen, that was my like fan fiction years. And then once I went to college, um, I went for directing specifically because I wanted to be a theater director. I wanted direct, wanted to direct kind of, you know, big Broadway musicals. And as a part of that, you know, I went to Playwrights Horizon Theater School in Tisch, um, and you have to take every single course that the actors take, which is quite a course load. Yeah. And then you also have to take playwriting and design. So you have to learn, you know, set design, classroom design, and playwriting. And the first year I took the class and I was really passionate about it, but I was also kind of miserable because I felt like I, I felt like I didn't really have a voice and I felt like I wasn't really passionate about what I was writing. And then I got to my second year and I had this professor who just really believed in me. And he was like, you know, I really feel like, you know, you have something to say. And so he like helped me. The second semester was just supposed to be write like a 30 page play. And my, mine ended up being like a two and a half hour, like five act, <laughs> like big giant historical drama. Wow. And um, ended up, it ended up having a reading at La Mama in New York City, which was like kind of like still to this day, like I published a book and I'm still like, they read my play at La Mama, like, <laughs> like the biggest thing in the world. But wow. Um, and, and so from that, you know, I, I, I always loved writing, but I never felt like I was good enough at it or like anyone would care about what I had to say. And from there, that was when I applied for the um, program in London because I was like, okay, well, I should at least try, like, right. <laughs> I should at least try and see if it's something that I'm good at or that I'll like, or, you know, at least learn as much as I possibly can about it before I decide that I'm just no good. Yeah. And um, so I got in and that was how I started really, I did a whole semester where all I did was write scene after scene after scene after scene, you know, until I had a full play and had a reading of that um, at the German Street Theater in London, which was again, very, very cool. Um, and then I had a couple plays that were put on by different universities here in London. One was a modern adaptation of uh, How to Marry a Millionaire, which <laughs> I think is still to this day, like, I really want to make it a romance novel because it was kind of a romantic comedy play. Yeah. Um, and it's set, like, in Silicon Valley, and it's all about, you know, like, kind of the gender politics of Silicon Valley and, like, the tech industry. And it was very, very fun. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking one day I'm going to do a book on that, but we'll see. Nice. And um, and at the same time as I was doing all of that, that's when I first kind of started to get into the writing, you know, romance novels. And uh, here I am. Here we are. <laughs> wow. That is awesome. Well, so long as we're talking about here we are, let's talk about your book. So remind us again, the title, tell us a little bit about the, I don't want to give anything away. So I, I want you to, to give us the book description and then tell us like how you came up with the idea and yeah, the whole kind of backstory. Yeah, so it's called The Christmas Company, and it's about a small town in Texas called Miller's Point, 
where every single Christmas season they throw a Dickensian Christmas festival where they dress up the town like it's, you know, a Dickens London. And it's kind of like an immersive theater thing where you go through and, you know, you hang out with Scrooge and kind of follow his journey through the night. And our heroine, Kate Buckner, just loves the festival. It's kind of her life. And one day, the man who owns the company that owns the festival passes away, and the company goes to his nephew, and the nephew says, this doesn't make us enough money, and I am closing it down. But Kate kind of sees something in him. She sees that, you know, he's just, I think he's just sad. Like, I think it was one of the lines she says. And um, she decides that she's going to just kind of teach him the magic of Christmas. And... Um, if you read the book, you'll see if she does. It's a Hallmark, it's a Hallmark book, so I, you might be able to guess. But, um, That's it's right. the journey, not the destination. That's right. That's right. Always the journey. You know, um, that's one of the things that people say about romance novels. And now since I've been pursuing Hallmark, um, which I don't know if I told you that, but uh, yeah, I also saw their um, uh, open submission period and sent them a book and then, you know, uh, talking to them about uh, different projects. So uh it's funny because in my romance writing world, you know, people are like, oh, romances are so formulaic. They're all the same. And I'm like, well, you haven't read more than two or three if you think that they're right. all the same. But it's funny because now I'm hearing people say with, with less of the kind of acerbic tone, but still, uh, you know, Hallmark movies are all the same. I'm like, well... They're not all the same. Yes, there are some tropes that get repeated, but it's because people like them. But the characters are different, and what's happening is different. And honestly, like in a Hallmark movie, every time there are certain actors where I'm just like, I don't even know what the story's about. I don't care because I'm definitely going to watch anything that Lacey Chabert is in. I'm just going <laughs> exactly. to. I mean, she could just read a recipe book out loud, and I don't cook, and I. <laughs> consider myself to be like an useless idiot in the kitchen. And I would still be like, oh, isn't she great? I just love her. <laughs> uh, so, so tell us what in, and particularly, I'm, I'm really interested in your take on this because you are a grad school writer. And so we, we learn this other way of looking at writing that you don't necessarily learn if you are um, reading books, reading, how, you know, reading the books in your genre, reading how-to books, also sometimes specific to your genre, and going to conferences, again, often specific to your genre. It's a different kind of um, road if you're going through school and having other people tell you what they think that you should think is important. So tell us, how did you go from... Um, you know, uh, I'm sure that it was similar to you, you know, this very, you know, literary changing the world kind of feel of writing to, I'm going to write a story that makes people happy. Well, you know, it, it was tricky. Actually, the transition was harder because I really started out, I was writing the novels before I was writing, you know, kind of the hardcore film studies texts. So it was actually a break in the opposite way where I was ah. writing these love stories and I was, you know, writing things kind of in my own voice and having kind of my humor in them and my own kind of take on things and then getting papers back that were like, this voice isn't literary enough. You don't sound like a <laughs> professor. And I'm like, oh, but I just, because my, my kind of philosophy on especially film studies, because some, so many of the texts are so dense and they're so kind of difficult to mentally penetrate. If I'm writing about pop film, then I want anyone on the street to be able to pick up my book and understand something more about their culture by yeah. reading one of my essays. And so for me, I wanted to write 
not like down to people, but I wanted to write on a level that people could understand and discuss and kind of open up, you know, a different part of their world and their culture. So I definitely had to do a lot of study. <laughs> I had to do a lot of reading. I had to read a lot of books. I had to rewrite a lot of papers, um, not after they had been submitted, but just I would write a version that was as if I was, you know, writing it for me or for someone else and then be like, all right, and how do I translate this into <laughs> professor speak? Right. Um, I'm still not entirely sure I was very successful, <laughs> but in my, it was funny, in my final dissertation, um, the feedback was really great, but one of the notes was something to the effect of, you have a lively and engaging voice. I wish I had heard you say it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's very sweet, but I still don't know if it means that it's good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, so I think, I think there is a lot of value actually in having these sort of um, a very distinct scholarly voice that I do think comes out of the way that I write my romance stories and my novels. Um, my plays are a little bit different. They're all a little bit more, you know, kind of highbrow literature. But um, <laughs> but uh, I think that's just because I write a lot of plays that are set in the past. So, <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I think that that was kind of the transition for me. Um, but I do think there's value in having both um, especially when I write a character like Clark in this book, um, because he, you know, the book isn't in first person, it's in third person, but I do think your third person point of view should be very specific to the character that you're writing about. Yeah. Um, so when I write someone like Clark, like he's a little more postured, he's a little more tight and dense and um, more professional. So I think when I write in his voice, I kind of do a little more of like the scholarly film studies girl. Right. Me. And then when I do Kate, I can do like the fun, you know, Elise having a glass of wine at the, uh, the pub telling a story. Right, <laughs> so right. I like that I can kind of have both, you know, the best of both worlds when I'm writing uh, really both, both kind of texts. Yeah. And the thing is, is that that helps the reader to really feel the character mm -hmm. even more than just the the words in the order that they're reading on the page like they feel it whether they realize why they can feel it or not they might just be like i love this book i really felt like you know the male character i really understood him and they might not even understand why unless they really sat down and thought about it and i don't know how many of us as readers really sit down and think about why did i feel that way <laughs> exactly and i think it for me i always know that i have a good character or that i've built something that I really understand when I'm mid-sentence and I'm like, they wouldn't say it like that. Like right. in my head, I can, I, it like sounds funny. It sounds like there's something a little bit off and then I have to go back and rearrange some things or pick some different vocab. And I think that that is always a sign to me that I'm like, oh, okay, I know this person. I understand them. And uh, that always makes the writing just a little bit easier. Not easy, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you're really listening and then you're like, no, that's not it. Oh, wait. Right. This is it. This is it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so for everybody who's listening, um, people are at all different places in their writing. Some just starting, some um, unpublished, but working on it. Some published with one book, five books, a lot of books. I, I know different people who are, who are listening. So I got a little bit of everybody, but um, tell us for the people who, um, who are on a similar journey right behind you. Um, so, you submitted, and then how did things work out um, that you submitted, then got the agent, then ended up with the contract? Everybody wants to know, like, how to get an agent. People who want to pursue, you know, traditional publishing also need to know how to get an agent. So what was your story? 
Absolutely. So um, I finished The Christmas Company and I went through a couple of rounds of edits um, just by myself because um, in London, the kind of writing support scene is very literary. And so the first few times I tried to join writing groups, it was like a very cold reception. So I was at a point where the work was so new, I didn't want to like give it to someone who didn't understand the genre or who didn't understand what I was going for. So I did a couple of versions, a couple of rounds of self edits. I sent them to a couple of like really close friends, like just what are your thoughts, you know, kind of give me that feedback. And then I was like, all right, well, I'll just send it to Hallmark. Um, I think it's as good as it's going to be at this point. And if worse comes to worse, you know, they send me a whole list of, you know, here are all the edits that we think you need before it's ready or whatever. Um, and so I was just like, you know, I'll just send it and see what happens, get the feedback, and then I can go back to the drawing board on edits and um, that sort of thing. So I sent it to them one week, and then a week later was um, one of the pitch mad pit, pitch parties um, with a bunch on of Twitter? agents and on Twitter, yes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, it's a finished book. Like, agents are probably going to give me more feedback. Um, so let's do it. So I, I pitched this book and I pitched a couple of other books that I had and, you know, kind of had a slew of responses, which was really, really lovely um, on both books that I had pitched or all three books I had pitched. Um, and uh, did all the, you know, they, they ask you to send, it's kind of crazy because every, you know, agent asks you for very specific, very different things. Right. <laughs> it's like a series of like four days after a pitch party on Twitter where you're like, okay, this agent needs 10 pages and this agent needs 50 pages and this agent needs this and this and this. And yeah. so you have to like go through and I made like a spreadsheet. I was a huge nerd about it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, a week later, um, the, Rebecca Angus, who ended up being my agent, she was very fast. Um, she was like, hi, can I call you? I would like to call you and talk about, you know, um, your future in writing. And I was like, all right, cool, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I had a call with her and I had had a couple of um, discussions with, you know, kind of other clients that she had represented. And I kind of did a little bit of research on her and uh, I really liked her. I connected with her. And so I was like, all right, let's do this. And she was like, really that fast? And I was like, yep, let's go. <laughs> so I had to respond to the other agents and be like, you know, here's, you know, my situation. And um, they were all very understanding, very, you know, we were sorry to lose you, but um, obviously a week turnaround time is not, uh, it's really Normal. not common. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I was very surprised and kind of taken back by that. But, um, I, and I think the other agents were as well, but I think it did, you know, I found my person and, and we really do connect and she's been a very good advocate for me. And um, she was the one who was really, uh, as soon as I signed with her, she contacted Hallmark and said, you know, I know this came with you, ah. um, unagented, unagented, is that how you, yeah, that word, it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I feel like there should be more syllables there. Right. Um, but I am representing it now. And, and so she was kind of my liaison with Hallmark and then during the contract negotiations and everything. Um, so yes, yeah, so that was how I got my agent through one of those online pitch parties that um, are always really crazy on Twitter. Because I, I love them because I love to read all the ideas for books that I'm going to read one day. Oh. It's so hard because you can't like them. Like you, only agents are supposed to like the oh. tweets. And so I'm like, oh, I want to <laughs> tell you I love this book idea. <laughs> but I can't. So I usually end up like, you know, retweeting it and being like, someone buy this book. Right. <laughs> I just get very excited. I love the pitch parties. They're very, very fun. And oh, actually all three of those books that I pitched that day that Rebecca liked, um, have been sold. Oh, I know. 
Congratulations. Now, so, is there anything that you can tell us yet? Yes. yes. Um, okay. Yes. So uh, Christmas Company is out now. And then um, next year I have a no the first book in a novella series um, called Tea and a Cowboy is coming out from the Wild Rose Press. Okay. And then the first book in a series from Entangled um, called The Society Girl is coming out um, next year as well. So um, very That's exciting. Cool. Rebecca did very good work for me all year. She really did. Um, yeah. She really, you know, did amazing work. So uh, I really do recommend those pitch parties. You know, you have to do your own research. You have to really kind of dig in and see who you're going to work with best and who's going to, you know, really advocate for you. But I do think they are a great way of connecting people and of helping people, you know, find those new and exciting voices. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of people who have done this, um, but I never have. And I am assuming that at least some of my listeners haven't. So can you tell us how exactly do you find, like, are you, I'm used to, I Google things. That's, that's how I find things. I'm not thinking that you could really Google it on Twitter. So is it like a certain hashtag that you're just watching yes. out for? So there's a hashtag. Um, it's pitmad, P-I-T-M-A-D. Okay. And then um, from there, like usually when you search that on Twitter, it'll come up with like the top three accounts that like advocate for that. I think it's um, Pitch Wars is the one that does it. Okay. Um, so P-I-T-C-H Wars um, is the account that runs the Pit Mad events. Oh. And so um, sometimes they're themed. So like recently they had DV Pit, which was for diverse, you know, own voices works. Um, and then sometimes they just have, I think twice a year, they have just general pitches where they pick one day and they set a time and they say, you know, you have, you know, your character limit on Twitter um, to pitch your book. So, you know, give us kind of the, the log line of your book. And then they usually ask you to do hashtags like, you know, hashtag R for romance or hashtag YA, um, which kind of helps the editors and the agents who are going through all these, you know, numerous pitches yeah. kind of narrow down what they're looking for. And then if an agent or an editor likes your tweet, um, they'll usually have instructions on their Twitter page for how you get in contact with them and how you follow up on, you know, their interest in your manuscript. And um, it is only for completed manuscripts. It's not for like pitches or, you know, kind of spec right. work. Yeah. Um, but it is really exciting. And I think a lot of people have really kind of made those connections and um, it's, I think it's a great opportunity. I really do encourage people to do it. Um, I am a success, a success story. So I guess I'm, you know, it's a success bias, but um, I do, I do think it's, it's definitely good for at least getting your name out there and kind of exploring agents and editors for sure. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for telling everybody because I didn't know. And um, so uh, there's, there was nothing that I could do to be helpful to anyone who would be asking me. I would be like, I don't know. <laughs> now, I think I saw a picture on your Twitter page that looked very much like you are on a movie set. Am I right? Um, I went to the home and family set. Um, I did, I went, I was a guest on Hallmark's home and family show, um, which was very cool. Um, it was, they interviewed me about the book and, uh, we cooked the recipe from the book, which is, um, sweet potato biscuits and country oh, ham. Uh, it sounds was, it was so amazing. good. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was really good. The food was great. Um, it was an incredible experience, you know, to go out to LA and have these kind of magical days right around when my book came out. Um, my mom came in from New Orleans and we did home and family in the morning and then drove to Anaheim and went to Disneyland in the <laughs> nice. afternoon to celebrate my book release. Um, so it was, it was really wonderful. Everyone was so kind and it was on the universal back lot. 
So um, I thought it looked familiar. Yeah, it was so funny because you know they they tell us to go to this one entrance, and um, so we get you know to the entrance, and they put us on a bus that's going to take us to the home and family house. But it's really weird because you know you're just driving through an old west town, and they turn down the old west street, so it's like a saloon and a barn, and you know like a prospector something and a train, and then like <laughs> right on the end is like this big beautiful house where they shoot home and family every day. <laughs> so it's like you know I'm in the kitchen cooking country ham, and I can see like you know the train and the saloon just like right out the window. So it is. It's, it was very magical. It was great. We had to pass the psycho house to get there too. I was like, oh, I hope that's not an old and I hope, I hope right. this is not a bad sign. <laughs> it was very, very cool. I had a great time. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Now, one thing that I personally wondered about the uh, recipes that are in the back of the Hallmark books is whether or not they're actually recipes from the author. No. So this, um, some, I think some of them are and some of them aren't. Um, for my book, I had a couple of ideas of what I thought they were going to do um, uh -huh. for my recipe, and none of them ended up being what it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they actually add, asked me to add a line to the book about the recipe, so right. that it could be kind of, um, so some of them are more important to the stories than others. So um, the stuffed crust pizza from Alexis Stanton's uh, Timeless Christmas, um, he's a time, he travels through time from the past and he's never had a pizza before. So they eat pizza and the recipe in the back of the book is pizza. My yeah. recipe is um, one of the 18 million things mentioned at a Christmas feast. <laughs> and, um, so it's, you know, uh, I think it's kind of, it depends on which book you have and how important the food is to the story. Um, yeah. My big scene was sugar cookies that I thought they were going to pick. But of oh. course, it's a Hallmark book and every Hallmark book has sugar cookies. So by the right. time my book was published, another book had already had sugar cookies as their recipe. Right. It's, you know, it just depends. <laughs> but no, it was not my recipe, um, which is just as well because I don't think I make very good biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> you had to learn the recipe. You had to learn to make it so you could I make did. it in the home and family <laughs> kitchen. I did. Oh, that but sounds fun. they had all the dough pre-rolled and made, so no one had to eat my biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, I, I saw someone else. She was making, um, okay, I can't remember the name of the actress, but um, she plays the wife of the FBI agent on White Collar, uh, which is sort of a... Yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a show that I really like. It's about a, uh, basically an art thief slash just really, really smart con man uh, who the FBI um, says, you know, you could work for us or you can go to jail. And he's like, well, I've always wanted to work for the FBI, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so it's kind of a comedic uh, cop buddy mm -hmm. sort of thing, uh, except for, you know, they're sort of, sort of on opposite sides because he's still like, I'm going to pretend that There's I'm a little just criminaling. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the woman who plays the, the FBI agent's wife was on and she was making this like incredible looking, um, not like granola mix, but like a roasted nut mix. And she was putting them in cute little bags with like little clips with bows. And she handed them out, you know, as gifts after Christmas parties. And I saw it and I told my husband, he's like, oh, we should do something like that and give it to like all the bus drivers around the city at Christmas. So that's what I'm going to do. So it's amazing. Aww. You never know what you might've been doing on Home and Family that somebody's like, that's exactly what I need to do for Christmas. <laughs> well, it's funny. My younger sister, I have three younger sisters and um, they're, most of them are more 
very older, younger than me, rather. Yeah. And um, so my uh, younger sister, Nia, is 13. And she had to do a book project for school on a book that she loved that she, because they had to read 40 books this semester. And so she picked my book, which I thought was the Aww. cutest thing in the whole world. And Aww. so today she's going to school with the hunt country ham and biscuits um, for her class so they can all have them while she do, does her presentation, um, which is very funny because the poor thing's vegetarian. Oh. She's going to have like her little sweet potato biscuit. But it was so sweet. She sent me a video yesterday of herself making them with my stepmom. And it was just the most precious thing in the world. I cried when she told me she was going to do it. It's just, it's so I think, um, you know, I do love the way that, you know, Hallmark does the recipes because I do think, you know, our books are a lot about community and they're about togetherness and bringing people together. And I do think that food is another way that we, we do that, especially in the South where, you know, the book's set in Texas. (laughs) Um, I do think people love to gather around the table and I'm from New Orleans my fiance makes fun of me because he's like, when you plan a day, all you do is you say, okay, we're going to eat and then we'll have some drinks and then we'll eat and then we'll have some drinks. We might go to a football game and then we're going to eat and have some more drinks. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but that's how we like to do it. That's how we come together. You know, we, we eat and we drink and we sit around the table and you know, that's how we do our together time. Yeah. Yeah. And the other way my family does that is watching Hallmark movies. So, you know, oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm from Michigan and eating and drinking is just a part of what we do. You know, we, we, we're like bears. We get all like, you know, kind of bellied up for the winter (laughs) underneath all of our winter clothes. And then we're like, come spring. Oh my gosh. It's time to eat some greens and get rid of all of my, you know, winter fat. (laughs) I always, I don't know. I always think of us as being bears (laughs) because I live near bears and, but it's funny because, um, the woman, uh, a friend of mine who was uh, doing my audio books, at one point she sent me a text and she's like, my gosh, doing your books always makes me so hungry. I, I don't know anybody else who talks about food in their books as much as you do. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, it's like it normal about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, this is great fun. I love talking to writers. <laughs> Okay, so we know the book that is currently out is The Christmas Company, and then you've got two more books coming out in 2019, mm-hmm. so we're definitely going to want to find out, um, you know, where we can find those books as, as they come out, but I was just wondering, so you've gone through a whole lot of new experiences in the last year, year and a half, year, year and a half, something like that. Uh, what are some tips that you can give to other people um, to kind of like help them through this journey? Yeah, um, I think my biggest suggestion is also kind of my biggest um, weakness, which is I'm, I'm very insecure. I, you know, I went to theater school because I wanted people to tell me that I was, you know, pretty and could do to acting. (laughs) You know, know, I think I had an acting professor once who said, you know, you want to be in theater when um, you start crying and you accidentally find yourself in front of a mirror. Like, we all, like, I think theater people kind of want a little bit of validation, and so I am deeply insecure, especially about my writing, because it's so much of my heart, and it's so much of who I am, and one of the things that I did before I ever sent the book on submission, before I ever gave it to another living person, was I took out a notebook, and I wrote down everything I loved about the book, like, everything that I was passionate about, everything that I thought, like, that was good. And I did that and I feel proud of it and everything that I just thought made the book special. And so I wrote, you know, a page or two of that and I put that away and I put it in a drawer 
And every time I got a review that hurt my feelings or someone made a comment or whatever that just kind of like was like, oh, no, maybe the book isn't very good. <laughs> you know, I would pull out that notebook and be like, no, I did things that I was proud of in this work and that made me feel like I was a good writer and like I could really touch people. And to me, I think, you know, all the good reviews in the world, they can be yours, but that one one star that was just very cruel can just eat at you. Yeah. And so I think having that list of things that like no one can ever take those away from me. Yeah. Um, I think that was really important to kind of keeping my morale through the whole thing. Um, That's a great and, idea. I love it. And I also think the other thing that I would suggest, but do as I say, not as I do is get off <laughs> Twitter as much as you possibly can. <laughs> like Twitter is just a jealousy machine. <laughs> You know, you see everyone getting new book deals or getting on top 10 lists or getting Kirkus, you know, stars. And you're just like, oh, I'm the worst writer who's ever lived. <laughs> and and that's not true. You're not. And you're going to feel that way, but it's just not true. Yeah. And so um, I am absolutely addicted to it. Uh, so if you cannot be addicted to it, that would be my first <laughs> advice. Um, but if you are addicted to it, I would say, you know, one of the things that I had to do during my writing hours was just, I had to install like a productivity app right. that would just take Twitter off of my computer altogether because I would be, you know, writing and like having a good time and being excited about what I was doing. And then something would come up on Twitter and I'd be like, no one's going to read my book. That book's so much better. Like who would I ever want to read my stupid story? And then I would get like so down on myself and I wouldn't want to write anymore for the day. And I'd just be like, oh, this day's ruined. And I'm just, I have my dramatic, you know, shawl on right, right. now. So it makes everything <laughs> seem more dramatic. But, um, but I, I just, I think for me, the biggest piece of advice that I can give to anyone at any stage of their journey, but especially when you're just starting out, is to really pursue the things that you love. Like you have to pursue what excites you. And um, when I was at, when I was pl doing playwriting, um, I had a friend who we were having a conversation. He just read my play. And I was like, I don't know why I think anyone but me would be interested in this. Like, it's so weird and out there and stupid and specific. And he looked at me and it was like the most tough love I've ever gotten from another person in my whole life. He said, how, um, self-absorbed are you that you think you're the only person on earth who would like this thing oh. he's like if you love it and if you're passionate about it there are going to be people out there who want the thing that you have yeah and it's a story that currently isn't out there because you're writing it and so you have to follow and pursue that thing that you love because there's someone out there in the world who needs the thing that you're writing and the story totally that you're telling. Totally. Yeah. And so for me, it's just, you know, there are going to be a lot of like, especially now that we're at the end of the year, there's going to be a ton of those like, what writing trends are going to hit in 2019? And yeah. what are, you know, agents going to want, editors going to want in 2019? And for me, I think you have the next big thing. And it's in your heart and it's in your head. And you just, if you write passionately and pursue it passionately, someone is going to read it and the passion is going to come through and the love for that thing that you've written is going to come through and um, someone's going to see that and be excited by it. Um, but I think on the other side of that, you also can't be afraid of revisions and of digging in and of, you know, taking that thing that you love and, you know, making it better. better. Yeah. That's the thing yeah. that I, I always tell people because I'm a huge nerd. I think it's my playwriting background. I love feedback and I love notes and I love people being like, this didn't work and this did. 
Yeah. I always know that they are, ultimately it's going to make the work better. Right. Um, like no one is giving you editorial notes to be like, this is a terrible book. You should be ashamed. You're garbage. That's not what they're doing. And if they, they just, are, they are not the are, kind of person right. you need to And then to you be. don't need to listen to them and you can be like, all yeah. right, I'm discounting that advice. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just, I would really encourage people, you know, find the thing that you love, pursue it passionately. And, um, I think you just have to, you can't be afraid of, uh, of letting it shine in any way that, you know, it needs to. Yeah. I love it. That is great. That's really great stuff. I love it. I particularly really like the idea of while you're still loving how much you love your book to actually write yourself a note mm -hmm. and say, these are the things I love about my book, regardless of what anybody says, I'm really happy that I wrote this and this and this, this way. Mm-hmm. That's great. And then so that you have something to go back and read. Because I know, like, I have some kind of mixed genre stuff going on in my writing. There's a lot of that these days. You know, I've heard people say that it's a self-publishing problem. But honestly, there's so much cross-genre, mixed-genre stuff. I think because there are so many people writing and so many people reading and people like things that are, you know, a combination. But um, I know that one of the biggest problems I had with my superhero series is that some people would read it and, you know, write a review about, well, I really liked it, except for it had a whole bunch of like weird religious stuff. And I'm like, huh, that's not at all the way that I remember writing it. You know, and other people would, would write it and say, I thought that was a Christian book because like the girl like talks to God and prays and stuff, but she swears and stuff too. So she can't be a Christian. I'm like, yeah, okay. So that's not really what I meant either. <laughs> but I'm thinking, yeah, I should probably write a few notes to myself about this is what I wanted to write and I'm going to stick to it. And if people like it, great. And if they don't like it, that's fine too. But I think you're right. I think there is always an audience somewhere who thinks about life in the weird little funky way that you do, whatever that way is. <laughs> And they're definitely going to be your readers. Your book sounds fun. It sounds really like totally Christmassy. I mean, Dickens and Christmas just go together. So a Dickens, a Dickens, Dick, now I can't say it, Dickensian <laughs> Christmas celebration in a town sounds like something we all have to read. And this is going to come out on December 27th. So it's still in the Christmas mood. So I hope everybody goes out and finds it, which they can find it on Amazon.com, Hallmark Publishing. Probably uh, Amazon, Hallmark, Barnes and Noble, you know, Kobo, iBooks, any of those, and then in store at Target stores, select Walmart stores, um, ah. Mayer stores, May Mayer, M E I J E R. Oh. Meyer! Oh my Meyer. gosh, that's like my home, Michigan area. <laughs> Meyer stores. Now I want to go fly back to Michigan just so <laughs> I can see your book in the store. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> and um, select Hallmark stores. So you just. Hallmark, the Hallmark stores are a little bit hit, hit and miss. So if you want to go to a Hallmark store, you might just want to call and check before you, or check online. I think they have a store like locator. Um, so yeah, you can find it any of those locations. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. Oh, congratulations again. And where can people find you if they want to follow you and find out more about like when the, the new books come out? Yeah, I am a uh, writer Elise on Twitter and uh, Instagram. So it's writer A L Y S. And then I am um, Elise Murray. I have an author page on Facebook. And then I am EliseMurray.com. Awesome. Great. Elise, thank you so much for being here and sharing your fabulous, fun journey and all of your tips. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It was such a blast.